Hello, everybody. This is Niall Elkham. Um, this is another review with the three of us. Uh, we're still trying to decide on a name, but we'll get there soon. The important thing is that we have great people, and that's uh, myself, uh, Serena Catherine, and C. Thomas Payne there. You guys want to say hi? Hi. Good Serena. evening. Hello. <laughs> we are reviewing uh, Mr. Nobody, which is a 2009 movie. Uh, the director was Jaco von uh, Dormiel, I don't know if Dormiel, um, it's a science fiction drama, uh, apparently cost 33 million pounds to make. The main character is a character named Nemo Nobody, played by uh, Jared Leto, um, who's famously ruined the Joker. Um, <laughs> made, his, made his real, I think, debut in Fight Club, where uh, he was the pretty boy who got his face beaten. Um, he plays um, kind of a character who's displaced through time, uh, telling the story of the many paths his life either could have taken or did take. I think it's the paths it could have taken um, as a 118 year old character. Uh, obviously spoilers, guys. Um, and it's broken down in different timelines of different choices he would have made um, and how and how they affect his life at the age of 9, 15, 34, and then at the very end, uh, 118. Um, so what did you guys think of this, um, Thomas? Oh, I, I, I enjoy the film very much. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think that if you like it, you're going to watch it several times because um, the... Uh, uh, there's there's always something that you pick up, no matter how many times you watch it. I think, and it, it just it kept it kept me uh, kept me involved uh, through the through the whole thing. I like the combination of the sort of the supernatural and the quantum physics, and and um, uh, I admired the you know the composition of the film. The photography was great. I thought it was I, I enjoyed it very much. I figured you'd, you'd um, appreciate some of the film craft elements. Uh, I know um, uh, they, they were good, uh, for sure. Uh, uh, Serena? Uh, I, yeah, I really have to agree with the visuals of the film. It was, have you guys ever seen the movie Dark City? It's kind of an old one from the um, 90s. Is that a science fiction one that has like almost, uh, who's the guy who did Nightmare Before Christmas? Kind oh, of I have no idea what his name is. But, uh, um, does, has that that one really iconic looking actor um with the big head <laughs> right he plays kind of a dumb guy that um in a this city of lost children kind of thing no it's um i don't remember what the guy Clark. looks like I, I don't really remember what his main role is but it's basically he becomes aware that at night strike of 12 there are these really tall like um albino looking guys who come in and they change people's lives they inject different memories into people each night so mm -hmm. say one day you woke up you're rich the next day you're poor but you don't realize it and it's just i don't remember what they're called but they um they kind of just change and they mess with people's lives and then at the end he discovers well, pretty much throughout the whole movie he's trying to get to the beach yeah. um, and for whatever reason he can't reach it and then at the end when he reaches the beach he realizes that the city is fake and that the beach doesn't actually exist. Um, right. 
and I don't remember why. It's been a, almost like 20 years since I've seen the movie. But the the constant beach recall, like at the end, when things start to come through on the old man, that really reminded me of that movie. The really dark um, visuals when he's being hypnotized. I like that. Um, I really liked the, the butterfly, the Mr. Sandman song, and the railroad tracks. Uh, that those visuals every time it, they would kind of touch in on choices, time, um, existence, things like that. I love that visual. My biggest complaint with this movie, I enjoyed the the ride. I loved following all the different um, stories and stuff. I didn't like that it turned out that it was just him basically going through choices of what would happen if he went with his mom or if he went with his dad. I really would have liked if it had either been an exploration of what it means to exist. Are we made up of our memories or are we made up of other people's memories? Or it would have been nice if it would have been exploring who he was um, before he kind of got lost. Because I used to study memories. One of the things that I love the most is that when you remember a memory, you're not remembering the memory. You're remembering, remembering it. Every time you remember it, it's a little bit different, a little bit right. different. Every time you access a memory, you can change the memory. Yeah. So when you start playing with choices, like what would have happened if I had done this? What would have happened if I had done that? You start thinking on it over and over and over again to the point where it becomes a memory. So I thought that would have been an interesting. It almost seems like a cheap, um, a cheap way to end it when it's all just in his imagination. I think it gives it less um, bite, uh, less consequence. And, and again, yeah. it, it's kind of like what I was talking about um, with, the, with the last movie uh, we reviewed. Um, you need, I think you need to, there needs to be consequence to the characters and you need to feel um, attached <laughs> to them and what happens to them. And when everything is a fantasy, basically, you know, he's, because at the end uh, of the movie, um, you know, he says, um, we're just uh, we're just in the thoughts of a nine-year-old child. We're just yeah. uh, you know in the imagination of a nine-year-old child. It's because he knows he was that kid who's born at the beginning um, as this you know uh, being from before you're born that you're supposed oh, to you know everything. So it has this weird metaphor. All this stuff is like there's so much metaphysical stuff. Um, I, I like it. Yeah. And then it's mixed with science. It feels way more metaphysical than scientific though to me. But at the beginning he's, um, so you're gonna be born, you know everything about everything. And then um, the angels of oblivion come and they touch you in the front of your mouth and that makes the cleft lip. And that I takes away that. All, your, all your, yeah, it's a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty little fable thing. Um, and that it. takes away uh, your memories, but he, they forget him. So he's always able to, to, to accurately predict what different decisions would cause which direction they would cause him to go into and so that 118 year old version of himself is just him as a child thinking of one possible path and that 118 year old is just one of those paths but he doesn't actually take it that's one thing i was wondering about is because that was another element that i loved about this movie was um the the perspective of understanding life through the eyes of a child like in the beginning when he's explaining everything like the angels of oblivion how they choose their moms and dads and everything like that I was wondering if that was like something that actually happened something that he believed that happened to him or if it was just his way of explaining um his existence as a child something like that because it never quite touched if he actually could see the future I know that he said it a couple of times um 
I don't know. <laughs> I think that I think they um, uh, the 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 premises. You know the the the, pre the premises established when they, they call them vignettes. The the kids in the um, when they're with before, the angel of oblivion before they were born. Yeah, vignettes. I thought that was interesting. That was something I picked up in the dialogue for oh, the first yeah. time yesterday. I mean, the, and the movie is really actually composed of lots of vignettes. You know, I mean, lots of little scenes that uh, are you know sort of standalone to depict a certain you know, a, a, a certain character or a certain uh, aspect of a character's personality um, uh, and, and, and matching them with other things that happened and tying it, weaving it all together in a narrative that, that kind of that, that, that flows hopefully for the, uh, for the audience. But um, the, the, one of the key uh, uh, points that was made. I think it was when he was uh, they were on. He was on the trip to Mars, um, and uh, he was talking with that. Uh, uh, that uh, yeah. Uh, uh, was it Anna on the space? Yeah. On, on the on the, they met. That's uh, she, actually she something I want to talk about. She was on the trip to Mars. Well, anyway, she was. She he asked her why she was there, and she was uh, studying time. She says, you know, the thing that keeps everything from happening all at once. Um, and I thought that that was, you know, that was, that, that for me was kind of a tip off to, you know, what one of the things that you could take from the, um, you know, the gist of the film that, that uh, all these things that are happening are just, you know, except for in our own consciousness and the order that we make out of them are, pretty much absolute chaos um, that, you know, no matter what choice you make, everything turns out terrible anyways. That was another, that was, that was, that was another, uh, another, another point. So what's the point of it? Also, um, how can you be sure you even exist? You know, um, you know, pretty, pretty much, uh, pretty much took me in the direction of, okay, well, you know, I'm entertaining the possibility that all of this is really not, not, not nothing is as important as you know we like to make uh, believe that it is. Um, my cats are going crazy here. Uh, <laughs> Typical cat stuff. <laughs> oh, they love it when I come home. They, you know, they I, uh, they 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 meet me and uh, uh, and they race back and forth and run around and celebrate. <laughs> arriving home so somebody cares uh, <laughs> but uh, so that's where that's where the film took me in in, in, in many ways is uh, um, uh, you know entertaining the you know the concept uh, uh, the, 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 the ultimate lack of importance of just about everything yeah no it's very nihilist a lot of it felt very nihilistic um, it felt like they could have done the same kind of plot idea and they could have made it much more um, consequential. Like you could have had the kid um, thinking of like what a decision was going to cause in the future in a, in a period of time when he didn't have a lot of time to decide. He seemed to have infinite time to review the different possibilities, you know, whereas like even if you knew all of the future, just like trying to like reach into that knowledge 
would take you so much time that in an immediate decision, you would still just not be able to access all your memory and have to make, you know, so it would be a frustrating decision. But he seemed to always have infinite time to like basically live these separate lives. It would take a lifetime to live the separate memories, right? So he had to have some kind of like time escaping mechanism to consider the outcomes of the different possibilities. But the fact that he was also not able to convince anybody that he could tell the future, it's like, couldn't he like tell them the lotto numbers or something or, you know. Before we get totally off track, I want to no. go back to the Anna thing. Um, yeah, so let's, let's mention the three women. So the big thing that the plot revolves around, um, which I think probably has a lot to do with what, and I do want to say um, what my feelings about like how, whether I liked it too. Um, but um, uh, he, three decisions he makes that are like the critical decisions are whether he goes with his mom or his dad, uh, after they separate, after his dad accidentally kills a woman or cripples her and kills her baby or some such thing. Um, what? You know, he, was what? he was distracted because there was an eggshell that had dropped into whatever it was he was eating and he was looking at that. Um, well, you don't, yeah, you don't remember the uh, the car, car running over the woman? His car got away and, and rolled rolled down the street and hit a woman pushing a baby carriage. Uh, you guys must have watched the extended version because that's not in the theatrical version. I just saw oh, really? watching the movie. Yeah. yeah I was wondering I, why his, what happened to his dad. It never explains that in the movie. <laughs> I wonder if the theatrical version is better. <laughs> um, I watched it on, uh, mine was like two and a half hours. Yeah, that's the director's cut. Oh, okay. I watched the director's mine was cut. That's what, um, that's, what, that's what I watched too. And it was on... Um, it was on, uh, shoot, what's the app? I found it for free on an app because it Tubi wasn't on Netflix or anything. Tubi. I rented it, yeah. It was on Tubi for free, but it was the director's cut, I guess. Yeah, that's weird. So, Usually so I don't know how we, got, how we got this in the mix of the selections because we're supposed to pick free movies. I know, I know. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 um, uh, I, I went rogue on that one. All right. Well, it was free in Tubi, but it was the director's cut. <laughs> So I guess we're reviewing, we're reviewing, one of us has the director's cut and, and or two of us have the director's cut and one doesn't. So that's that's an issue. Um, <laughs> for sometimes the director's cut's much better and sometimes it's much worse. I think in this case, I think the director, director's cut might be worse because I feel I like- I, The director director's cuts are always longer. Yeah. You know, they're always, you know, like two and a half hours. No, no you know, hardly any film. And I feel like one of the weaknesses of this movie was it was too long for what it had um, and for like the tempo and, and how much you were gripped by it. Because yeah. so, so the fact that it was like a half hour longer than it, than it was otherwise, that may have hurt my review of it quite a bit um, because I really was not that impressed by this movie. Um, I, I thought Jared Leto's performance was not that exciting. Uh, he doesn't really make expressions in the movie at all. Uh, yeah. He just has the one expression the whole time. Like Jared Leto is like a poor man's Jake Gyllenhaal, right? That he That's who should have played the part. It should have been Jake Gyllenhaal, who could have like actually had a range of emotions. Um, I, think, I don't know. I liked Leto in this role. I did. I think it was appropriate because he's like... He's an observer in three right, different this lives. Is the, this is the problem I have with the movie, though, is that it feels like it's happening to the character, not it, that he's, not that he's making conscious 
contributions to what's happening. And I know there's a, there's an element of that where he's it is supposed to be boring to him because he knows what's going to happen. So I get that. But it also makes really bad storytelling. Like, you know, uh, and, I, and I don't like movies that kind of, so it has a kind of a, a Cloud Atlas feel to it. If you guys saw Cloud Atlas and that, kind, that, that one doesn't, Oh, but anyway, so back to um, the three women are uh, Elise, Anna, and Jean. Uh, Elise and Anna are, are, are white and Jean is Asian. Um, Sarah Pauly plays Elise. Diane Kruger plays Anna. And Lynn Dan Pham plays Jean. Um, but yeah, so and there's just a lot of things. that uh, The old guy didn't work for me at the end, the 118-year-old guy. He reminds me of... Um, uh, the guy from, if you guys have ever seen uh, the guy from Jackass when he gets in the old man outfit. Oh, yeah, that's what he reminded me of. Yeah, he's like exactly <laughs> like that guy, right? He is. <laughs> or like, um, what was it? Grump, grumpy Grandpa or something like that? Yeah, that's is what that it is. Yeah, it's, that, it's okay, the same yeah. thing. Yeah. It's the, yeah. <laughs> um, so that, did, that didn't work for me very much. The future wasn't that exciting to me. Um, yeah. I like this, the idea of a uh, stem cell compatible pig. I like the yeah. ideas. Well, no, I, would, I, would, I would love uh, to, to explore that. <laughs> I don't know if I want a pet pig with me at all times. And there well, were still old people. Everybody, everybody had one. <laughs> I thought that was funny. So I really that was funny. I, I love that. Um, I think there were lots of good ideas in this movie. I just think the way they were put together and just was not good in a storytelling sense. And also, I think the main themes, and we'll get into the politics part of this a little bit, in a little bit, it's very much like, to me, it felt very much like a movie about middle to middle upper class white people's lives and like them trying to find meaning about their lives in this kind of like just torturous review of the different things that, that, that kind of like uh, give them issues, right? Like their personal issues. It's, it, it, you know, and you go through, it's a very white movie. Like this is one of the oh, whitest yeah. fucking movies I've ever seen. And, and the fact that the only minorities in it are Asians, the, the model minority, um, just, just, just seals it. Like in the future, there are no minorities. If you notice in the future, it's all white people. I think I see a couple of people that might be Asian if I squint, but it's only Asian and white in the yeah. future. There's no black people. There's no brown people. I'm like, what the fuck is the future? Like the white supremacist one, what is going on, right? It's a French movie. I don't see a lot of black people or any minorities in French movies. That was that was an, that was another line uh, in the in the film when he was in the, in the very beginning. He, well, no, when the reporter was coming to interview him, who I thought was a great character. Yeah, um, because, because he was totally blown away by everything. He couldn't understand anything. Right. And, and that and, and that that's important because <laughs> you can't understand it, any of it. If you're you know, until until you until you go off into you know oblivion basically. Um but uh uh oh no I lost my I lost I lost the thought. He said he well he said uh are you talking about the French movie lines? Uh, yes, he, he, he said most of the time, uh, what was the, the question was, what was what were things like when you were young? Because he's the last you know, living mortal uh, yeah. in, in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, he wasn't supposed to be approached by anybody, but this guy snuck in to interview him. Um, and and he has, uh, asking him a bunch of questions about what everything was like. And, he said, we did, we, we smoked cigarettes, we ate meat, we drove 
cars, we polluted the air. We <laughs> he told everybody, you know, we had everybody screwed. Um, and um, but he said most of the time, uh, nothing really happened, like a French movie. Yep, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that, that. That just cracked me up. I'll get our first. We're gonna we're gonna have a break in ten minutes, just FYI. So. Oh, okay. then let me go ahead and go back to the Anna thing before I forget, because I will forget it. I don't know if you guys can see it, but there's a countdown at the top, just so we can plan for it. But oh, I, I, I don't see anything. Okay, it's just me seeing it. Okay. Uh, probably because you're the host. But one thing that really bugged me was, all right, you know about the Mars storyline was taking place because it was a story he was typing, right? Yeah. That was the story he was typing in while he was married to Elise. So in the story, yeah, he goes to dump his her ashes, which is hilarious in itself. Um, and then he meets Anna, which one doesn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, it's fine in a movie context, but then she she mentions the time crunch in this yeah. in his story, but somehow it has everything to do with the end. Like he's waiting for the time crunch to happen. It doesn't make any sense that that's what he's waiting for when that's something a character said in his book. That's something that really bugged me. Because <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't get the disconnect. I don't really get a connect on it, but I don't get the disconnect that you're. The, 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 you're well, like he acts like she said it to him in real life, like when he's right. the 118 year old man. Like he's waiting for this countdown to happen. And yeah, she never right. said it in real life. She said it as a character in a book that he wasn't. He didn't know. He wasn't in love with, and they both died in that book. So I don't know why he's acting like she said that to him in one of his lives. Now, did he write that story as a writer, but it was a write a story about one of the possible lifetimes you would have? So it'd be just as real as anything else. I don't, Maybe, I don't know. but they always showed that story in the context of the typewriter, even when yeah. he was in the coma. And then again, when he was married to Elise. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, never... I mean, there's a lot of weird un unset I, I, that I found elements that I found unsatisfying. Um, but, you know, like, I think for people um, that have a different perspective of kind of like, and this is very much like about like suburban life, I think, because he's, you know, he's a suburban guy. Um, he, it's just, it's his whole, he never has an issue about money, really, in the whole movie. He has all these different lives. And I can't remember one of those lifetimes where there was ever like a crisis about money. It's like, who's, yeah. whose lives are these? Like, even when he was a pool cleaner, he was still living in a loft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing oh, ever not cheap <laughs> i think the only time that's there seemed to be maybe a uh, financial issues as a kid and he's like uh working while his dad is uh i i couldn't quite figure out what happened to his dad was he an alcoholic did he have alzheimer's um he was like he was washing he's, his dad in the shower yeah, he just, yeah that's what i was or, or depressive oh. just broke down i mean you know like he was his life was crushed he wasn't okay. a pretty good weatherman anyways yeah, that's true. <laughs> that was a funny yeah. scene. I like that one. Oh yeah, yeah. So get out, get out. It's gonna be funny all weekend long. So get out the barbecue and have a blast. And then the next scene, they're walking on the street and it's pouring rain, and everybody's running for shelter. Oh man. And and you know, there's there is this very like um like meaningless feel to a certain kind of life like that, where like, uh, and, and I think the idea of him knowing his future is almost a metaphor for it, the way this happens in certain pe people's lives. It's like you're born into a certain family, 
everything's kind of set up for you. You've got the trust fund, you get the tutors, you go to the private school, you know that all you have to do is show up and stand there and everything will happen for you. You will be provided for. There's no real consequence or danger, right? Um, as, as long as you don't, you know, step out too much. And, um, and you become kind of like a zombie, right? And this is this kind of morass of just meaninglessness and, and emptiness that comes with that life. Um, I think some people have kind of like a, a positive experience with some version of that life. And they may see this as kind of like a, a meditation on, on like the struggles of, the, of their kind of life, the different relationships and family and kids and, and things like that. Um, but to me, it's just like, this was like watching paint dry. It's like, no, these lives are meaningless. That's, that's, that's what they are. If you want them to not be meaningless, you need to step out of that kind of life and do something else. But they are meaningless. They are painful. They are torturously meaningless. Um, but they're also incredibly privileged, right? And, and that's why they're meaningless is because there's no consequences. Everything is always going to be comfortable and provided for. And, um, and I think the people that like relate to this movie, I feel like these are the meritocratic people that had those lives set up and never considered any other life. That is their perspective. Like, I think that's who really likes the movie. And like, I, I, I watched a, several reviews and there were people who were so thrilled about this movie. And I was like, how is nobody noticing this? How is it? You know, like, <laughs> I don't see it that way. I see that in one of his lives when he's married to Jean. He definitely has that, my life has no meaning. When he's married, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get the, that meaningless feel from his other lives. And there's one life, there's Anna. Mm -hmm. When he's, it's either what revolved around their love or revolved around finding her again, which I think is kind of sweet in its own sense. And then oh, there's Elise. Oh, go ahead, Thomas. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just meant, to, I just wanted to say, that. I think, you know, she was uh, who he was looking for when time started going backwards, too. I mean, you know, it was that that, that was the the love interest that seemed to resonate. You know, yeah, as far as she was the main one. Yeah, because I felt the most Jean. I felt so bad for her. She was basically just used. You know, just yeah. a little trophy wife. And then Elise was superfluous almost. Yeah, she was crazy. Yeah. I don't understand why they never took her to a doctor. They lived in like 20, 2009. Go see a doctor for depression. She doesn't well, have to be in the street. She was, of, she was on a lot of drugs, so apparently she was getting prescriptions. But they didn't oh, go into. Well. Didn't go into. Um, I thought. That, I thought. By the way, that that, that part of her uh, uh, her character in the performance. I thought. I thought. I thought that was that. That was distressful, distressing, but also, you know, pretty realistic well, and interesting. Yes, <laughs> yes I agree. Uh, you know? <laughs> And the way her story ended, like opening up a salon just to cut and style the hair of this guy that she was in love with, that he didn't even recognize her. It was kind of bittersweet in a weird, beautiful way. I don't know. I just kind of loved it. I don't know why. <laughs> um, he didn't seem to care much about the kids either. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. I once, um, I once took care of a, of a patient um, who had a brother. And they both had Asian wives, but the one brother like didn't know who he was anymore. And the wives were treated like they had been ordered from a catalog. And they were like, you know, like they lived in the house and they took care of the house, but it wasn't their house. It was the guy's houses. 
right? It was the rich guy's houses. And they had even had a son, which didn't seem to be from either of the women, um, or he had a son, probably from somebody, some other woman he divorced before he ordered these wives. And I, you know, I don't know how common that phenomenon is among like kind of wealthy white culture of taking an Asian wife as, as kind of a less than full human being wife. Um, but yeah, it, it sucked. I didn't like the whole gene thing at all. Maybe very uncomfortable, the, the whole it thing. Did. I, so I used to work at this um, golf shop in Palm Springs. I would see rich, old, wealthy men married to young Asian women who barely spoke any English a lot. And it, to the point where I'm like, did you order this woman off the internet? Because she was, she didn't act like an American woman. She acted very subservient uh, a couple of times. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> that goes on. I've met, uh, I've met some, um, uh, some couples that came as, you know, uh, the 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 woman came as a mail order bride basically from yeah, the Phil- yeah. from the Philippines that's one place where it seems like I've I've met a few uh, Philippine couples where the, the guy's white and the woman's Filipina but those usually the woman's in charge yeah <laughs> you know uh, you know it's I, not I can't, I can't imagine a relationship where the woman isn't in charge I can't. <laughs> Isn't that the way it works? I mean, uh, well, uh, we got less than one minute before we're going to cut out. Well, I, th- I think it takes an entire system to uh, basically suppress uh, the natural dominance of women within relationships. <laughs> and I think we're living within that system, at least the, the tail end of that system, uh, for sure. Um, but, um, but yeah, um, it, and it is striking to me, we're probably just going to be cutting the middle of the comment. Um, it's striking to me that, um, that that was that that the one minority in this movie is treated basically as a, almost an other, like they yeah. it's not and it's not like he necessarily like well I'm going to do that to the Asian girl, he just picks her because she's the first one who dances with him at the dance. He says I'm going to marry the first girl who dances. It's legal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, cutting cutting these together. Um, I think it's interesting <laughs> to actually take a little break. Um, in the middle of the show, because sometimes when you're talking to people, you're so focused on um, uh, paying attention to what they're saying and thinking about what they're saying that you don't take uh, the longer time to to form different kinds of thoughts that happen uh, with a little more reflection. So maybe that'll be a good dynamic for us. Um, Apparently the movie for each of the different timelines uh, used a different color coding and filmed in a different city. They said it was like um, Germany, Belgium, and Canada or something were the locations. But they also used different color color cues or whatever. I color definitely cues. got the colors, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. Uh, that's interesting. Um, and then I'll just a uh, couple of the other main characters. I like the character Riss, uh, Riss Ifans, uh, played Nemo's father. I like that actor. I don't know what other things I've seen him in, but he just he's just kind of a cool looking dude or acting guy like he's 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 interesting right as just a as a a, a piece of uh of, of material to work with and then natasha little is the mother um it's interesting you know whenever the, the decision is made to make the mother kind of horrible <laughs> right yeah I, I don't have any sympathy for her at all you don't like her i don't I, like cheaters in general <laughs> yeah but but, uh she's not likable um the audience the audience she's she apparently she was not intended to be 
likable <laughs> by the by the maker of the film. And, uh, uh, that's a big, you know, kind of a kind of a big part of the, you know, of of the movie. You know, like uh, one thing I do know is I don't want to be like you. Yeah, I think she she deserved that line, especially after that little comment she made about you gotta go live with your dad, blah blah blah. Yeah, he lives in another country. Not like I can take a train. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously she's written to deserve that line, right? Um, and yeah. You can always kind of read into the the director and the writer's motivations for making such kind of because she doesn't doesn't really have a lot of good sides to her. She just kind of sucks. Um, she didn't. Did she cheat before? She didn't cheat before she left, right? So they were they were like divorced or separated, right? Well, she they divorced because she cheated. Uh, Nemo oh. caught her in the forest with Anna's dad. Yeah, I don't well, know. He's told. They're still very young, like. Uh, you oh know. yeah, okay. I thought it was. I thought it was because of the depression of the father after killing, the or or having his car run over the one lady, but well, then. That seems to have been a catalyst for you know. Uh, he, he, I think, was uh, uh, led to believe that he just went on a downslide and uh, their relationship didn't make it. And she developed another interest in the other guy uh, who happened to have a daughter that also. Of course, that wasn't in the director's cut, the, the car thing. So maybe the weatherman part was, though, right, Serena? Uh, where he, yeah. like, he predicts the weather, but then he, then he tells everyone to go barbecue. And then, and then people rain. are out in the front and then he and then it starts raining while they're on their walk and people are looking at him like you son of a bitch yeah <laughs> well, you know that's a cliched you know the weatherman who's never right remember i don't know when i was uh young the, the weatherman was always wrong you know i've seen that that character type too whenever they're the, the weatherman they're always kind of like an incompetent type of character almost <laughs> He's never right. Yeah. <laughs> Always wrong. And I like the idea that uh, his father would predict, you know, always said that you could predict the um, where uh, the exact position of the planets, even 100 years from now, but you couldn't tell what was going to happen in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, it kind of accurately reflects the science of when he would have been a kid. He said he was born in 1975 and he would have been nine years old. So this would have been what eighty four, yeah. yeah, yeah. But then you know that's that's one part where continuity wise, so the the films like a little bit breaks down there for me because first of all the soundtrack which I, is lovely, but it, it it's uh, there's a lot of you know like fifties music in it, you know, like the cordettes. You know, <laughs> you guys don't know anything about the cordettes, probably, right? I mean, but that was a that was a and and Buddy Holly, um, you know. Yeah, there are and, some of those kind of like lollipop, lollipop type songs, right? Like yeah. um, lollipop, lollipop, you know, kind of these kind of like 50s classics that put yeah. you very much in the 50s or 60s. I, I don't know. I don't know when lollipop came out, but I remember being in Stand By Me and uh, and it always put me in that movie. Like I always associate it with the time period that movie's in. I, I don't know yeah. what... The, the the 50 the, the music was 50s and 60s ish but he was like you said he was nine years old in 1984 they put they they pretty well uh telegraphed that yeah, it seemed um, almost like more like a 50s or 60s childhood than a yeah. 80s childhood like it seemed super idyllic like this weird 
cartoon, um, uh, you know, kids fairy tale book about what life perfect, you know, white suburban life uh, would have been at a, at a certain point, you know, like his parents meeting and having, it's like every, there's, there's no rough edges to the world. Everything is in high contrast and pastels, right? Yeah. And um, there's actually when they're the, in the scene where the parents meet, how the butterfly kind of affects it. The the lane, the road that they're on is called Butterfly Lane. Like little things like that, I think is really cute. That like the super high um, high tone colors and stuff. I always thought that kind of came from the child's point of view. Uh, everything's always bright and colorful and right. That makes sense. <laughs> happy. Um, Crap, there's something else I was going to say. It didn't seem like it was in the 80s, right? No, yeah, I agree. It definitely had that 50s, 60s poppy feel to it. I mean, it. were they, what country were they in? Were they in Britain at they the time? They were in Britain, yeah. And I think maybe that's why. Aren't maybe, they kind was of Britain like the 50s and 60s in Britain when it was the 80s in Britain? I, I wasn't, I don't know enough about Britain. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't either. Not, not really. I don't know, maybe parts of <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, you know they were they were living in a uh, they were they weren't in like a metro area they weren't in London for example right yeah. out in the kind of in the countryside in a smaller yeah. smaller city or something or town it had a villagey kind of effect yeah uh, like that that Britishy village feeling yeah 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 and the cars. I, I don't I don't know I you know the the cars didn't seem to be 80s period you know cars on the streets either in that time they wanted to make them like toy cars because they had those scenes with like the big yeah. hand coming in and picking up the toy car and the I foot stepping on the house and kind of all these weird things what was the purpose of so it's one thing I had I don't know if I've quite figured out what is the purpose of like the um, like the helicopters airlifting in parts of the ocean and putting stuff together? Like, is that just his mind not processing things right? Or what, what is that supposed to be? Is that the Langoliers cleaning up the universe on the time when the time turns around? <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that was, those were those were strange, uh, difficult to comprehend scenes for me too. You know, the one thing that you know the reason remember when he went through the that uh that kind of scaffolding looking thing or the uh, the buttressed wall that out to the beach and that's where the helicopter oh, yeah. putting down those cargo containers into the into the ocean for some reason i don't understand um uh he he was the reason he went chasing through there was because he saw himself as the guy living on the street, the pool cleaner guy, um, uh, who, who was, you know, he was like a, a, a homeless person um, with his baggage and, you know, his, his stuff that he was carrying around with him living on the street. That was what happened to Nemo while he was looking for uh, um, uh, Anna. Yeah. Uh, and 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 so there there's the, the, you know there there's a bunch of things going on all at the same time and I couldn't quite grok you know what the what the cargo containers had to you know really I think that's really just like um, I think it's just fun imagery for like putting the pieces together. Like, cause I don't know if the beach has some sort of play into either it has 
like it's supposed to symbolize like calm like he's finally uh, reached a decision there's a calm coming over his mind or if it's supposed to symbolize some type of uh, I don't know like life or death type of thing because I see the beach always pop up when it has to do with life or death like uh, Dark City and there's this game that I play um, Death Stranding the beach has a big play into it so I don't know if that's an imagery that has to do with life or death or not. But I heard one person mention that um, uh, there's a con consistent theme with water and drowning and fire and like explosions and stuff. So um, anytime he died, he was either he was either in water, so he like drowns in his car. He gets shot in a bathtub. Um, I don't remember all the times, I guess. Um, but and then uh, there's the the oil tanker explodes and burns his face and kills his whoever the passenger is, um, the wife. The wife. Uh, was that was that Elise. Elise. So yeah. Um. Um. So it. Uh. They. What they were basically saying is that they thought that the reason that the elemental kind of uh, thing was used is because it's kind of out of your control. That's like nature. Uh. It's no decision you make. Um, affected those like he couldn't make a decision like once he's in the water in the car he can't get out of the car there's no decision left he's just gonna die when he's in the bathtub and he wakes up and the guy's there and gonna kill him there's no decision left he's just gonna die uh, when the when the car the thing explodes same thing um, I think he also crashed his motorcycle right so another kind yeah. of you know in that kind of context um, something about a lack of control um, I don't know I don't know if I if I fully accept that explanation but i think there is definitely a theme around water and then the the violent explosive kind of deaths um yeah, yeah. but yeah i'm not sure what those are meant to symbolize really um and also the, the the pool um oh the swimming pool he almost kills himself in the swimming pool right because he doesn't yeah. know how to swim well that the, the pool from when he was a kid and then uh, the pool came up a few different times after that yeah. Uh, I don't know if he tried to kill himself or if he just fell in there. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, she saved him, but he was talking about being suicidal in the context of that lifetime, I think. Yeah. Um, I think, like, it felt like the Anna character was definitely, like, that's the true love one, right, Anna? Yeah. Okay, so she that's... red. She's love. Right. It still... It, she annoys me, like, as a character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, so she's the model mate, is what she is, right? She's, she's, edu she's educated, she has her life together, she seems to always have a handle on things, she makes the right decisions, you know, she's level-headed, she doesn't have these emotional issues, whereas Elise is the depressive, where you feel bad for him, for having to take care of her, right? Uh, so she's obviously, like, the mistake person to be with. Although you should really also be sympathetic for her, but I don't know the way it's told. You're not really. You're just like, oh, this kind of sucks for him that his wife ends up having this issue, right? Um, and then uh, Jean, I don't know what to say about Jean again. I think we've already gone over that. Um, That's just this whole sad story right there. Right. Um, so it, I don't really like perfect people, and Anna seems perfect, and and it kind of goes along again with the whole like. Uh, and I'm sorry to do it about identity, guys, but like the whole white people and Asian people. You gotta understand in, in a white supremacist system of, of ideology, the the main model minority is Asians. So you've got white people are good at everything and make the world a good place. And then you got Asians that are like also um, 
are seen as uh, loyal to like orderliness, education, authority, um, you know, always doing the right thing, um, not, not acting out or having emotional issues, being in control, right? And so they're kind of an appendage to white supremacy in, in a certain model. And this whole movie just kind of screams of it. Um, uh, and, I, and I'm sure it's subconscious from the writers. I don't think it's intentional, but, but it's just like, and you know, that whole future society technologically advanced and everything's perfect. Um, but yeah, Anna just kind of like encapsulates that for me. Like it's the people that say, there are people I think like, especially politically, that they hear people that, that talk a certain way and come from a certain like educated background and, or, or just kind of upper crust background. They were raised, you know, right, whatever. Um, and they have an aversion to it. I'm one of those people to a certain extent not a huge, I kind of like, I'm on the edge of everything. Um, but, um, but that's what the whole thing feels like to me. So I don't like the Anna character. And I don't find, I think as a love story, this could have been compelling, right? Through, through the universe, I search all the different possibilities to find the one in which we can find each other and be in love. First of all, I didn't find Anna to be very convincing as, as somebody who's in real love. Like, it's like she looks at him and be like, yes, you are the match for me. And therefore, we will join. Not like I have this deep emotional thing out of my control and I'm, and I'm just a creature of my feelings like every fucking buddy else. And it doesn't matter whether this is right or not, we're going to do it. Um, that I like more as a love story, right? Because that, that, that feels like you're overcoming something. Whereas for her, it just feels like she's, she's fitting the round peg into the round hole. I guess it's a bad image. Um, but you know what I'm saying, right? Everything, everything matches. And I don't, I don't like it. And, and, but they make the, they make the broken character, Elise and Jean to a certain extent, they make Elise especially just, they really grind her down into like this, like, she's like a mental patient. Like, so it's like, he's like, he's like this, um, you know, he's made out to be, Nemo's made out to be this just selfless, you know, uh, just pariah, not pariah, um, uh, martyr for being with her. Right. And, and burned, it just, up, burned up his car yeah yeah it feels yeah, very, it feels forced right you know it's like a it's like a male fantasy of like uh, of a being a hero right um <laughs> <laughs> but you deserve the anna right you deserve the anna but you're a martyr so you would you oh, know, spend that, your whole I, life with somebody uh, who had all these issues I, I i yeah i i you know was getting more the impression of you know being in a living hell, <laughs> not that not not that he was a hero for doing it. I mean, you know, uh, or, or I didn't sympathize with him as a victim of it either. You know, I he's, definitely got the martyr thing, but yeah, I agree with Thomas. I didn't get the victim thing. He said he couldn't. He couldn't. Uh, he could. I couldn't live without you. I couldn't live without you. Well, yeah, he always said that. So I mean, obviously, he's a participant. You know, uh, he didn't sign anything away. But I, it is to still makes him unfortunate to be in love with somebody with so many issues. Maybe I'm projecting. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't feel all alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the doc. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say back on Anna. You know, I never saw her as a perfect character. I saw her as kind of a wild spirit when she was young, at least. She seemed very rebellious. Um, 
I can agree a little more in the when she's an adult. Like in every scenario when he meets her when they're not together, she always seems to have her life together. She always seems to be doing really well, perfect kids, perfect great life. But when they meet together, like um uh what was it, a train station, she doesn't really look like she has her life together. Like she even says that she travels, she doesn't stay anywhere, she doesn't have attachments, she even forgot how to love that it's been so long. Um, she seems kind of like a wanderer, like he does when they finally meet him. So I don't know. She didn't really seem all that perfect to me. Yeah, I'll have to admit that. And I'm probably reflecting on one version of her, not like necessarily, or or one or two, and not not the whole character. Obviously, uh, like uh, they say in this, like um, that Leto plays 12 different Nemos is what they say. Of course, I think he plays one Nemo personally. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and, you know, and I'm sure there's probably about 10 other movies where he also plays that same Nemo. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't, think, this, I don't think this guy has a lot of range. Black hmm? depth as an actor is what you're saying. Right? Well, yeah, well, he's like, he's more of like a, uh, who's the guy who played um, the, the smuggler guy in Star Wars, uh, Harrison Ford. He's kind of like a Harrison Ford, you know, he plays himself. And, he, and the thing yeah. about Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford as himself is much more interesting than Leto. Like, <laughs> you, you, you feel like Leto is like trying not to like get in the way of his own looks. It's like, if I just, if I just don't say too much, if I just don't express too much, they'll notice how, how attractive I am. And, that'll, and that seems to have worked for him. Like he's a very emo um, actor, like you know, very obsessed with how people portray him like he needs to come off as a, a dark character I guess every role I see him like, even in real life he just seems like he need, he needs to brood about something I don't know well I mean that's kind of what's what's the one character the famous character like I think he died in the 70s or something or the 50s uh, always had the leather jacket on I don't know if he's trying to be that guy um, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about Thomas. The only one that's coming to mind is the Fonz. <laughs> no, no, no. From before that, he was a big, famous movie guy. He was thin. He had a leather jacket all the time. He died really young, and he's always on posters and everything with like a cigar, like cigarette in his mouth. You know, black and white. God, I I know who you're talking about, but I don't know his name. You know, he was like the original like young guy heartthrob. You know that if he'd lived much longer, would have had to play several vampires. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know if he's trying to do that kind of thing um yeah you know, I, I get it and it's worked for him I mean, he's a very successful guy so i mean who am i to say um of course i'm just as a movie watcher as an absor uh you know um a victim of of some of these projects <laughs> you know um uh, i'm gonna have my reaction i suppose um and um he's doing fine so i think i'm allowed to criticize um yeah. <laughs> And it's not necessarily him, it's like how he's used. I mean, it's kind of like blaming the onion for um, overpowering, you know, the dish uh, that you ordered at a restaurant. It's like, I don't blame the onion, I blame the cook, you know. <laughs> Onions are fine, but you fucked up here. <laughs> yeah, you, you fucked up the dish, not the onion. <laughs> <laughs> That's, actually, that reminds me, have you guys ever seen the movie, not to change the subject, but have you ever seen the movie Blood Rain? It's a... Um, maybe, I probably have. Like, it's a, it's a really bad vampire movie. And I, I watched this interview with R -E -R -E -I -G -G -N? the... That R-E-I-G-E-N? 
on IGN. Yeah, right. Okay, like, yeah. Right. yeah. And the the person who wrote the script, she said that the movie was completely different from what they had bought the, from the script that they bought. And oh god, I can't remember. I, I totally lost it now. I'm just seeing a cartoon. Um, when, I, when I googled it. It's, I think the director's name is Ube or Ube or something like that. U-B-E. I don't know how you pronounce it. Ube. Yeah, okay, now I'm seeing purple things. Uh, <laughs> maybe <laughs> Ube means purple in Japanese. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm saying purple donuts, purple yams, um, purple ice cream. Oh, my bad. It's um, blood, and then it's R-A-Y-N-E. Oh, that's ter terrible spelling. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've seen it, no. But... Well, it's a terrible movie. You don't need to see it. But it was just, it's a great example of people blame the, the script, and the script was great. The director sucked. I, I totally took away from the... Uh, the, the point, but basically, yes, you're blaming the wrong person for this terrible project. <laughs> Sometimes it's right. multiple people's fault, but um, I typically put most of my blame on yeah, directors, writers, and editors. That's yeah. most of where I put my blame for when I'm not satisfied with the way a movie was done. Um, and I get actually, I get more frustrated the more expensive the movie is because I'm like, oh, yeah. this, was, this was like over $40 million US. It was the largest, but it's apparently still the largest budget Belgian movie like ever, right? And sense, and it still feels like you guys really didn't pull it off. Like, but that's just me. Like, it could be this is just like, you know, um, what, uh, Sushi Squid. Some people like Sushi Squid or Sushi Octopus. I hate Sushi Squid or I think it's Octopus, Sushi Octopus. If you've ever tried to chew on one of those pieces, like you can't chew through it. You can't chew through it. And you're like, I just want to swallow this and have the experience be done with. But the sushi chef told me that this was his favorite thing. So I'm going to try it, right? Um, so maybe for other people, this is perfect for them. It's like, you know, sushi, sushi octopus is like, you know, gummy bears to them. You know, they just love it. It's, a, it's an unstoppable gobstopper, like from Charlie, Charlie's, Charlie's Chocolate Factory, you know. <laughs> well, oh, you know, man. most of uh, there's an awful lot. There's billions of dollars worth of camel milk produced every year too. Oh yeah, I'm not sure how that ties in, but when you talk about <laughs> when you talk about things that are unusual, like I I I I've had octopus and squid, and I don't really and and tripe too. Yeah, you know, yeah. they they all remind me of of, of each other. At least tripe's usually cooked, right? If it's cooked yeah, long enough, oh, it's yeah, tender. Oh, yeah, okay, right, yeah, yeah. No, I don't yeah. think you can eat tripe I, I, raw. I, I think that would be bad. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right about that. <laughs> Although it's probably been done, but, you know. Yeah, I don't doubt that. Yeah, it's, it doesn't cut on, but it's not, it's not like, uh, it's not one of the first things on your mind when you think of what you want to eat. Like, like it, uh, but a lot of people do. Like, a lot of people eat octopus and, and squid. Millions, millions, and millions of people do, and drink camel milk. Hopefully yeah. not together. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure how many people eat tripe, but that's you know. 
my kids do goat milk and I can't, you know, I can't uh, use it for anything because I've got that off taste to me, you know, because it's got that extra protein or the sugar or the protein. I don't know. There's some like, I think it's a, I think it's a sugar. It might be a protein. I think it's protein. It's a, yeah, it's a weird protein in goats. It's what gives the goat meat an off flavor, but in the meat, it's okay. But in the milk, it's like, oh, okay. Um, But the kids like it's normal to them because they're used to it. Right. Um, Yeah. But um, what was the other thing I was going to say about about this movie? So like, obviously, I've been talking a lot about my political feelings about it, which I'm sure some people are like, oh, my God, you know, I don't want to I don't want to hear about, you know, that's the thing about movies. Like, I don't want to, you know, like people don't want to. This is the point of the show we're we're gonna people that don't like that aren't gonna watch our show or listen to our <laughs> show but like so what do you what do you guys think because i mean there's so, there's a few ways to interpret it okay that's the thought i was gonna have um just to put one more thing in there for my own i feel to some extent um this is kind of a nihilistic apologism for like failed lives like um because at the end he's like all of these lives were meaningful and would be equally meaningful which also means they're equally unmeaningful, right? It's a nihilistic perspective. It's like any one of these choices in life timelines was equally meaningful. That was one of the things he said. And also that life is a playground, have fun, which I agree with to a certain extent, but maybe not to the extent that your life has no meaning. Um, I don't know. Um, So I don't know. I think there's a little bit of that. Uh, I think there is a certain psychology, again, within a certain class of people, that I think they do look at their lives and it's not a whole lot that they actually did that helped anybody. And they just kind of were a cog in the machine. They took their place and they don't want to feel bad about it. So I think this kind of wraps into that ideological framework. I don't know. But what do you, what do you guys, what do you guys think about it? Like politically, what is it, what does it trigger for you? Actually, I, I like that you were, you said that because thinking about that, it, it kind of, brought something up into my mind. When you think about each of the three women, Jean, she was the high class. They were rich. They had a good life. They had a big house. And that's the life where he had, he didn't feel alive. He felt like he, his life had no meaning. And then you have the middle class life with Elise, where he kind of finds meaning in meaningless things, like taking care of his car, his kids, his job, and he has his crazy wife. And then in the life with Anna, where he almost has nothing, he just cleans pools and he kind of looks like a hippie bum. He doesn't really own a lot of expensive things. And that seems to be the life that he has the most happiness, I guess, or the most meaning in, especially when he finds Anna. So I don't get the the nihilistic approach, uh, which is kind of weird because all of his lives kind of come to an end um, at the end when he's making a decision. Um, but I do agree that each life kind of has a different step of meaning. Like, um, you know how they say that money doesn't bring you happiness. I, I think it kind of was playing into that almost a little bit. I don't know. I think there's enough going on in this movie. So anybody can, from their own point of view, subjectively take off from any point in this film and just, and, and just run with it, you know, uh, in a sort of self-examination kind of way. Or just a you know uh, speculative thinking kind of way. Um, I really appreciated the the little um, um, sort of tutorial, sort of uh, um, uh, quantum physics type 
tutorial things in the, in the film. Yeah, let's I talk, like, yeah. We should talk like a little bit about that. Yeah. I, I like those. I like those little, uh, 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 little, little scenes where, you know, starting with the, uh, you know, pigeon superstition. Yeah. That, that's really, that's what nailed my interest in this movie in the beginning was, was, was that and, um, the old Mr. Nobody, the old Nemo, uh, meeting the guy with the tattooed face and, and, uh, you know, on his birthday and, um, and, and the joke that he made about, you know, some people call me Mr. Kraft, C-R-A-F-T, <laughs> can't remember a fucking thing. <laughs> you know, you did an old man making a, cracking a joke like that, just, I don't know, there's something about that that, <laughs> That made me feel. That made me feel like okay, I'm at home now. I can listen and watch and see what else is going to go on in this movie. Um, I like. <laughs> I was a little yeah. disappointed that the shrink. We not more happened with the shrink. It felt yeah, like they started at the beginning, and uh, in the future, he's the only guy that has all these tattoos. So it would have been interesting to hear that explained. I there was some certain symbol pattern to it. I'm sure it yeah. has a meaning. I didn't know I was, what the meaning was, but I saw that too. But yes, yeah, like so S's and eights. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's okay. I saw S's. I thought it was S's, but you're right. It could have been eights. Which he, appeared, been eights. He, he appeared as a younger version of himself with no tattoos on his face at one point. Yeah. 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 And also, his voice was on uh, uh, over the telephone at some point. I can't remember just exactly where. Was uh, it when he was waking up, like? Uh, um, I think I know what you're talking about when he like sees the phone number and like this. Yes, yes yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he's asking for the address of the house or the the address uh, uh, for the phone number. For the phone number. Yeah. And I don't think you're ever really sure whether he's uh, uh, in a state of in a hypnotized state through the whole thing or not. <laughs> you know, because he's hypnotized at the at the very at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and uh, that could that could take you to anywhere, you know. Uh, That's true. Uh, or whether it was a, I think I don't, I don't know if those were dreams or him like kind of building his prediction of the future or, or whatnot timelines with all the construction things. Yeah, that's just the process his mind went through to do that. Very strange. Um, but yeah, like the metaphysics and or or actual physics. Um, at certain points, it felt like it felt like that this movie could easily become like um, I forget what the director's called, but he's very um, he's very uh, distinctive. He did like I think it's all the Royal Tenenbaums and Yellow Submarine, and it's all these like really kitschy kind of things, like with the pigeon, the you know pigeon superstition, right? I'm like, is this just gonna is this gonna be that kind of tone? Um, instead, it one person I. I actually, I found like one person who really didn't like the movie that reviewed it. Um, uh, I think it was called Girls on Movie, Girl on Movies, something like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, she called it pretentious. Um, I don't really like the word pretentious because I think the people who use the word pretentious are also pretentious. Um, <laughs> um, and that threatens their pretentiousness. <laughs> when other people are pretentious. I think it's just not pulling off what you're trying to do is, is what is the issue there. It's like when he's giving these scientific things, it's like, does this seem profound or does this seem like kind of a 
something from like that one of those Royal Tenenbaum type movies where there's this quirky guy giving this thing and it doesn't really need to mean anything. It's just, it's all, it's almost like the, the, the description of it, the way it works is, um, is, is the meaning like it, you know, it's, it's just supposed to be quirky and interesting and, 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 and a character of the movie, right. A personality. Um, and that's a little more how I felt like his stuff. Cause I didn't really believe that Jared Leto was a scientist. Like, yeah, I didn't buy it, right? <laughs> sort of, yeah, I didn't buy Robert De Niro as uh, 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 an Irishman either. In, in, um, oh, and is it the actual Irishman? Or Irishman the Irishman. <laughs> That's off topic. Um, yeah, it's weird that he became a scientist when he's obsessed with space, like throughout this movie. That was a, a weird weird little turn like when he's with the least he's a, a like a biology scientist is what it seems like even though he's talking about quantum he talks about biology way more like viruses sex uh, by uh, attraction and stuff like that so i don't know i thought that was kind of weird another one with at least he was um uh aside from being interested in mars when they were kids when they're teenagers um uh he was uh, working for a company that manufactured copying copy machines. Remember when he, he like he quit his job that one scene where he, you know, oh yeah he was like an exec at a copy firm or something like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that he that he hated <laughs> yeah they they do that thing that he he talks about at the beginning the string theory thing where he goes like there's the three dimensions like which feels very elementary school. It's like there's three dimensions, height, width, and you know, it's like, okay. And then time is the fourth dimension, right? Um, and then there's string theory, which are all these other th uh, dimensions, but they're all wrapped up so they don't really do anything. Like it just kind of gets pushed aside. So it just stays as like, a, like an elementary school science lesson, you know, about the Big Bang and, you know, expansion, expansion causes time um, is what the theory is. And then when things begin to retract from expansion from the Big Bang, theoretically time could turn backwards. Personally, I don't believe that. Um, uh, but uh, a lot of there's a lot of like metaphysics, which is like basically religion tied into these things, right? And the the angels of oblivion, clearly very religious idea. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. And I mean, obviously, this is a magical world, right? Because obviously, in reality, a little boy can't imagine all the different possibilities, right? Right? You would need your brain to be a supercomputer just to process it even if you had access to the data you wouldn't be able to process it right yeah too much data and he wouldn't be able to understand it as a child and understand like why he wants this outcome or that outcome uh, except he's like becoming an adult as he's um imagining the futures which is really weird um as a concept but i mean that's kind of part of the whole thing is just kind of an exploration of that science fiction element um yeah, I, I like I like more when like the kind of the props or the tools or the rules of the game, the rules of the science fiction or the fantasy are played with a little more. Here it just it again felt like an excuse just to have a passive character who everything happens to them as this kind of like world is described around them. You know, they're they're the witness. So I mean, they're he's the he's the he's us in the story, right? So he's the he's the audience, right? which is why he doesn't interact with the movie. <laughs> but again, and 
I don't know, but I didn't find any of the other characters engaging either. So there's no like other characters to be attached to. The women I didn't feel attached to at all. I don't know if that's me, if that's my issue, but uh, you know, I didn't feel attached to the dad. I didn't feel attached to the mom. Um, you know, I felt bad for the girl when she was younger. You know, the which one was in the house? Was that that was Anna? Which one was he sleeping with? Um, Anna. Anna. Okay. As a, yeah, that's Anna. Right. I, I felt bad for them. Uh, young people. The things that happen to young people um, are tough. Uh, that felt more like that acting almost felt like the best to me. It was like the kids um, versus the adults in the movie, which is weird. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you, we got about a minute. Um, the, teen, the teenager kids, is that what you're, who you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, the, the teen, well, yeah, teenager kids and as a little kid. Not the real young, yeah, the real young kids. Yeah. yeah. The really young kid, like little, little Nemo, he was great. I love that kid. Yeah. Um, even, like, it was, I have mixed feelings about teenage Nemo because all the sex scenes and the kissing really made me uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I think but, I tuned um, out. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, I, yeah. I think uh, that's a little bit gratuitous for me too. I thought maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I have to agree. Yeah, I think their acting was definitely better. We're going to cut out in a second. We're going to. Uh, but as back. a teenager and the kids, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me let me just close this one and then we'll go one more run. Okay. 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 <clears throat> You're in California, Catherine, or uh, you, can, you can do it on camera, I think. I think you're fine. <laughs> I just didn't want you to get in trouble. <laughs> well, this is not a, this is not a for kids, you know, um, although it was pointed out by somebody I watch sometimes um, that when he used to work at Blockbuster, he would have people ask him if there was any sex in the movies, you know, and, you know, to see if they were okay for kids. And he says, no, there's no sex, but there's this part where they uh, they basically hack this guy's head off. Uh, it's really graphic, and they're like, "Oh, that's fine, as long as, <laughs> that's, as, long yeah. as as long as there's no sex, right?" <laughs> People are so weird. Yeah, they can get hacked to pieces, but oh god, sex, Lord forbid. Speaking of violence in this film, that in in Mister Nobody, this where where he's shot coming out of the, you know, as he comes up out of the water in the bathtub, that that's probably the most disturbing scene to me in the whole film. I could, really? I mean, I could see it. I think the the explosion was probably mine. Was it? it I, I didn't find anything that disturbing because, again, nothing felt real to me. It all felt like a story, like it was a, a fable. A kid's storybook, and well, you know, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> you know, it's like reading a story. It's a made-up story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like a Norse story about um, I don't know if it's Norse or Greek or whatever about you know a father eating all of his children. It's like okay, <laughs> and then they eat him up from the inside. It's okay. Well, I mean, it sounds horrible, but it's also just a story <laughs> about you know how the universe was made, right? Uh, probably an allegory for the Big Bang. Um, the, the father ate everything, and then there was, uh, you know, all the energy and pressure was in one place, and then it blows up again. Right? It's kind of <laughs> funny that you mentioned that. The, I mean, that's a whole other dis discussion. But the fact that the Norse, I think it is the Norse, Norse, uh, Norse fable or something. The fact that they have this fable for the Big Bang, 
so many thousands of years ago it's kind of interesting yeah um but yeah uh, interesting stuff I, I was looking a little more on um the wiki the wikipedia is pretty good i'm not you know i know there's criticisms of wikipedia i have lots of criticisms of wikipedia for one thing it, you can you can pay to have it edited the way you want because the master um users um basically sell their services um there's actually like <clears throat> I, I think there's a government uh that basically pays a master user to you know write a false you know propagandistic version of their country um <clears throat> and uh i don't know if they if they uh, have a separate Wikipedia in that country, that's not even accessible here. So it's just to propagandize their own people. But anyway, um, sometimes they've got good stuff. So um, this talked about the water. Uh, so let's see. The film also makes substantial use of chaos theory, string theory, and the butterfly effect. Uh, I wanna talk about the butterfly effect and how that wasn't used very interestingly. Like he never changes the future in his different timelines, right? Uh, I like- Actually I mean, he changes it for himself, but he doesn't change it for like the rest of society, right? That's true. I mean, in one instance, the butterfly effect is used to explain. Actually, no, that that was something else. That was for the rain, not a butterfly. Never mind. Go ahead. Sorry. Right, anyway, so I always like that's a more interesting way to use the butterfly. I like the way the butterfly effect was used in the movie, The Butterfly Effect. I think it's called The Butterfly Effect with yeah, Ashton. With oh yeah. yeah, that one's great. Like, uh, so that's a good. That's good storytelling no matter what problems you have with that movie, uh, I, it's at least you're, you're engaged. That movie, you know, I, I really do feel for the characters. Um, and it has a similar kind of dynamic. To accentuate the lack of control that humanity um, as individuals possess, often at each stage of his life, there's a scene where Nemo is subject to the whims of chance, often plunging into water, a place where humans lack all control. This is a visual symbol of the powerlessness attributed to the human condition. The theories are used to compound reality in the film. Uh, it is why the smoke never goes back to the cigarette. Time is always moving in one direction. At the end, uh, when it assumes that the universe is on the precipice of ultimate chaos, making use of the big crunch theory, time halts and it begins to reverse, thus signaling the absolute freedom Nemo has been seeking, being able to live a life without choice. So that's interesting. The idea that not having choice is freedom. It's like uh, slavery is freedom kind of idea, right? Is that, I don't, I don't, that's not how I took that. I took it as not making a choice, not as in not having a choice. Well, if you're going backwards, oh. you're not making choices anymore. So it's probably liberating for him because he's always like crippled by the hard choices, right? So he just wants to kind of be taken along for the ride? Yeah. Oh, that's kind of lazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of, it's sort of zen, you know, like uh, without, without the desire, uh, you don't experience the disappointment, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you don't have, if, if the, and, 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 you know, you can flip it the other way too, when, when whatever you do, it, everything seems to turn out you know, in unexpected ways, then what's the point of having choices anyway? You know, I mean, you know, like what's the, uh, why, 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 why attach so much, uh, uh, so much of your, in, 
you know, your, your enjoyment of your conscious experience is relying upon things turning out the way you want them to. You know. No, it's kind of a trap. Um, also, I'm, I subscribe, you know, uh, politically, uh, it doesn't really necessarily work, but uh, I, I tend to subscribe to the idea that we don't have choices. I'm a determinist. Um, I, I was corrected many times by my brother that when I used to say predeterminist, because uh, he says that involves a God and I'm an atheist, so I don't believe in a God. Um, so, hmm? So that's actually kind of interesting to me because I love that. Like whether you believe in God or not is regardless. But what is what is de determined to you? Like is it fate? Is it everything? Is everything happens because of a complex combination of uh, of factors? And if you knew every single factor, the position of every molecule, the the path of every uh, every band of energy, um, all the forces, you know, all the materials. Um, you know, their velocities, you know, all of these things, you could perfectly, and you had a supercomputer that could process all the math, you could perfectly predict the future. Um, and what seems like a choice, you know, all these, where the chemical, you know, neuro neurotransmitters are in your body at a certain time, where all the, the entire species neurotransmitters are on the whole planet. Um, you would be able to say, they're gonna do this, they're gonna do that, and you'd be able to predict every single thing that's gonna happen going forward. Um, that um, when choice, when it, choice, and it's interesting when you look at like in the mind, um, the motivation for a choice, that that kind of neurochemical signal in the brain, that's that like either makes you feel good or bad or like justified or unjustified or selfish or or magnanimous, whatever, uh, for having made a choice. That chemical message happens after you've already made the choice. So you make the choice and then you justify it in your brain afterward, right? Um, which tends to kind of imply that you didn't actually make a choice. You're, you're just kind of a part, you're just kind of a viewer in your own movie, right? That, that happens to have, you know, um, all the extra, like, uh, I forget what movie that is with uh, John Goodman, where he's got smellorama and they would like release the smell in the theater, right? Uh, and like have like, uh, atmosphere and wind and stuff right and the the seats would shake right so it's like the ultimate movie experience being a human being you even get to um experience the the sensation of viewing things visually auditorily smell and and kind of witness your own thoughts as they process through your head right but in the end you don't make the choices like they just your body your brain and your body were just going to do it it's just oh. what was going to happen so basically your body does whatever it's supposed to, it's going to do and you are just reacting to its choices. It's a super complex clockwork and it reacts with other super complex clockworks and that reacts with a super complex <laughs> clockwork, clockwork universe. Um, it's infinitely complex, but it, it, is, um, it is still uh, based upon the rules of quantum physics, uh, of, of the laws of the universe, of which we don't know all the laws. So it's not something we could predict right now, but um, it is determined. Uh, that's my belief on how the universe works. It's probably very unsatisfying to people. A lot of people and religions tend to shy away from it. Some don't, I guess. See, um, I don't understand why, because to me that seems very exciting. It's like- Well, you can't have guilt without choice, right? You can't, be, it's the whole basis of sin. So yeah, <laughs> the Garden of Eden, right? The Garden of Eden, 
um, before the apple of knowledge was eaten, right? And now you can make choices. Before that, you were innocent and like an animal, right? And you don't blame the lion for hunting um, the, the gazelle, right? It's, it's a predator and it does what the predator does. It didn't make a choice to be a predator. So it's just an animal, right? It's innocent and they're both beautiful and they have a cycle of life like in the fucking Lion King, right? Uh, <laughs> um, but once, once you attribute the, uh, the ability to make choices and to have an awareness of the consequences of those choices, now you can assign evil and guilt to people and sin, right? And, and so um, now if bad things happen, now it's their fault and you can say that's a bad person, that's a good person, right? It's why, um, it's why abortion is evil to a lot of people um, but not feeding, not providing food and shelter to young mothers is not evil because the child has been born, it's already sinning, and the mother is sinful. And so we can fuck her, right? She's just, she's a wretched creature and her child is a wretched creature, but the fetus is innocent, right? And you see a lot of this same thinking and a lot of other things. So religion needs it if religion is going to be part of an authoritarian governmental structure, right? And so this is where I think you tend to find a non-deterministic uh, view uh, of humanity uh, coming in. Uh, whereas I think some of the older religions um, didn't have, well, actually had a deterministic uh, What view. do you mean by older? Are you talking older Western like, religions? Like, Hindu, like Hinduism? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe um, I, I have not studied comparative religion other than my own independent studies. Um, I'm aware of some of it maybe maybe some of the, like the Taoism stuff like that, uh, the, or the Chinese uh, religions. I don't know, but, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, there are definitely pros and cons to that, that perspective. Um, it does come into like, it can lead you to nihilism though, right? Which is not something I support. I support like <laughs> trying to help people, right? And if, and if everything just is gonna happen, then I don't need to do that because I don't make choices. They don't make choices. If I don't do it, it's because I was always destined not to do it. And if I do do it, I was destined to do it. It's just part of a different ride. Um, uh, but I don't, I attribute, so there's, there's a contradiction there that's difficult to resolve, right? And that's probably the crux of a lot of humanity. Um, this movie, I don't feel like, there's so many interesting ideas in metaphysics in this movie or, or quantum physics and metaphysics. It's a set of rules that we just agree to, fairly incomplete, therefore metaphysics and not real physics. Um, although some of it's theoretical physics or, or some is applied to physics. But I feel like it's just, it's not dealt with that well. And I think people that are kind of like blown away by it, I think, I think they're not that bright. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like they open the first yeah. chapter of their of their philosophy book and they're like, whoa, man, right? Like they're taking a peek inside the, the deeper hole, I guess, the rabbit mm -hmm. hole or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I went down that deep hole. Um, any, uh, any, anything um, else on the movie from you guys, uh, Thomas? Um, well, I look forward to a future when bicycles will be assembled on Mars, you know, because it's... China is so uh, expensive. It's just so expensive on this planet. Oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> <Detail>. I, 
Um, no, I got See, nothing. I, it. I, I like the film because it can open up this these this kind of a discussion. Yeah. I mean, a, whether you like it or dislike it or like parts of it or love parts of it, hate parts of it, whatever. You know, there's a lot of places to jump off from. Yeah. Uh, on, uh, on the thing, my, my, I guess the the criticism that I would have of 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 my take on the the movie um, is that it's pretty it's pretty it, it's a pretty it's almost exclusively uh, cloaked in uh, a masculine perspective. Um, I, I don't I don't I don't think I mean you know. Uh, the, 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 there's, there's, uh, we're sympathetic with only with the masculine characters in the, in, in the film and the, and the females are just moving the story along. And it's uh, the experience of a guy the the father is a likable character, but he's tragic. The mother is tragic and unlikable. Um, uh, the, uh, you know the the main character that Jared Leto plays is, you know, looking for some kind of a salvation from, um, you know, from a female counterpart um, because of a, a crappy relationship with his mother, who was a you know not not our favorite person, um, and I and I I think that 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 part of it I could do without. I could, I, I could, I could, I could do without that. The rest of it, I find amusing, and 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 entertaining in a lighthearted way that doesn't bog me down too much. And that's so. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree with you yeah. about the women part. That it's like, it's all about this guy. And like, do I pick? You know, which model of woman do I like pick? You know, it's just it's like a the way guys kind of look at women is like some kind of like object or thing to be held or possessed. You know, it's like it's like choosing an ice cream flavor, right? Yeah. Um, it's kind uh, but, of appropriate with the colors too. <laughs> yeah, the choice the choices you make that you think are going to complete you, and why you make those choices. Oh, oh I, I, thought, I thought it was very interesting. Um, the color thing that it says here on the Wikipedia goes right in. It's it's it just made me laugh when I was reading it. Um, uh, it's noteworthy that the unborn Nemo is shown living in a white world. White contains all colors of the visible spectrum. This supports the allegorical message of the film that all things are possible until a choice is made. By the end of his life, Nemo is a decrepit old man and lives in a white surrounding room clothes doctor. Um, this way we can see that the fate of the protagonist leads him back to the origins from which he started, the point at which everything is possible in a white world. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. And, wow. And, and those kids, the little, baby, the little baby kids and the angels, they're all white too, right? There was one back black baby, I oh, think. Oh, there was one black baby. Yeah, there was more. There was also, um, there, there was a, a, a black and white gay couple talking about having children. And that, oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, there was there was there was an Inuit couple or whatever those people were, um, right. also. So there was a little you know sprinkling of multicultural, <laughs> multiracial yeah. stuff yeah, there. Right. Um, uh, but you know, it's a European film. Yeah. 
Serena, Honestly, well, of course, Europe's full of uh, people that are not European right now, too, but uh, yeah. Serena. Well, that's the, yeah. <laughs> so, I thought it would actually have them. Hmm? more, like, because it was uh, European, like it was set in UK and C Canada. I thought it would definitely have a lot more uh, minority people in there. But, you know, overall, I, I enjoyed it. it. I just enjoy movies that explore choice um what is choice what are choices the consequences i like exploring um what if situations and i also just love anything that has to do with time um and existence and what it means and all that stuff so i, I liked it from that ex perspective um i just love the imagery the the bright colors the um the transitions like when he's um, the only thing I can think of right now, because you brought up the bikes, <laughs> is when um, when they're in space and everything, and then the the, the glass breaks, yeah. and they die, and then he wakes up and he's underwater again, and uh, when it goes out to the big scene, you see all the bikes and everything. It's kind of like all of the memories are melding together when he's finally having when he's finally forced to make a decision when he's nine. I thought that was really pretty. Um, just the visuals, I think, is my favorite part of this whole film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I have to agree with that. Um, Definitely had a high pro production value, for sure. And, yeah. and of course, that bit when I was reading about white, it, it's specifically talking about the color white, not like white people. It is, I don't Although think it, it means anything. I don't think right. it means anything about races when it says that. It's just the fact that I kept talking about how white a movie this right. is. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're <laughs> laughing the whole time you're reading it. Too, so. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Oh, yeah, um, great movie, I think. Um, well, no, I don't think. Um, uh, I, would, I would personally give this like a two out of five if I was going to give yeah. it, I was going to rate this. I, I really didn't find this. I, I just found this like, just just like super um, wealthy uh, in resources, but poorly used, um, uh, just kind of opportunity missed. Um, and, and there are things just probably personally, I didn't, I didn't find great. Um, I think there are great things here. I just think they're squandered. So that's my, my, my take. Um, you got a, you got like a rating on it, Serena? Um, honestly, even though I gave it a lot of praise, it's still like a five out of 10. It's kind of slow paced and it's super long. If you aren't into existentialism, time and stuff, you're really not going to enjoy this movie. <laughs> uh, Thomas? It, um, yeah, I, I, I like it more than both of you guys, but I would say seven, seven out of 10, probably. Um, I, I'm entertained and intrigued by a lot of the concepts in the film, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. and I, I and, I, and I, I don't take any of the, uh, I, I don't take the shortcomings as seriously as the things that intrigue me about uh, uh, about the story, and I, I just I just think it's a nice fictional interlude that is uh, better than a lot of other ones that come along. And it's James Dean is who you were thinking of. That's right. James Dean, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> I, feel, I, feel like, I feel like that's what Leto's trying to do is a James Dean thing. Yeah, yeah. I could see that, yeah. I think I would have given it a higher rating, but that 
freaking time crunch thing with Anna being a character in a book and then somehow it just really bugs me it's a total like the end time it kind of falls apart in continuity wise and not in a way that I think they meant on purpose <laughs> and it just bothers me <clears throat> but I'm glad that uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, we're able to cover so many things in conversation that oh yeah are, are, you know, sparked by the oh yeah i mean for sure like the uh the other reviews i i watched about this they not at all in the depth that we're reviewing this like all all of them are like in like 10 or 15 or maybe 20 minute clips and yeah. the level of things it's just like whoa man it's great and good and whoa and fantastic <laughs> and it's just like there's nothing there there's nothing there there to their commentary uh really uh i mean some of them have a few things but it's just not that many things um, yeah. So I think this is great. Um, I, I like talking about movies, so I'm I'm thrilled with this. Hopefully the audience likes it. Um, I, and that I said two out of five, so it would be a four out of ten. And I didn't really ding them too much for the things I found maybe lacking as far as like diversity and bad messaging or anything. Um, maybe I, I maybe I took a point off, but <laughs> mostly it was just like the quality of the movie. Um, uh, you know, if something has like a deep, hits me deeply and I, I feel like gets me closer to uh, reaching, uh, you know, uh, an embrace with what is humanity, um, I'll probably give it a couple extra points. Uh, and the further away from that, I'll probably take a little bit away. So like a film, like a film I love is like a film like Magnolia, you know, that explores kind of choices and, and life situations and things, I think in a much more powerful way. Um, uh, but uh, you know, that, and then I give it credit for that. But um, this has been great. This has been uh, Niall Oakham, uh, Serena Catherine, and C. Thomas Payne. We're still trying to think of a name. Let us know if you have an idea. <laughs> um, you can always tweet me at Niall Elkham, N I A L E L K I M, on Twitter, uh, or DM me, uh, and my DMs are open. And uh, Serena Catherine is Catherine Serena, right? Yes. K, so is it K-A-T-H-R-Y-N and then S-A-R-E-N-A? Yep. So is that it? All the whole that. thing? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All one one thing. <laughs> so it's Catherine with a K and a Y and then Serena, uh, S-A-R-E-N-A. Just reverse those and put an at in front of them. That's her at. And then C Thomas Payne is C underscore Thomas underscore Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. And I'm sure follow us, bug us on Twitter. It's probably a good place to interact yeah. with us. Um, tell me why I'm bad. Fight me. <laughs> Fight me. <laughs> and we'll we'll catch you guys next time. You guys want to say goodbye? Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>